welcome back, everyone. Wow, some big stuff going on today, uh, which may not surprise many of you here. But folks, the Department of Energy is now saying that a lab leak is the most likely origin of COVID-19. And um, those of you who've been watching Crossroads for a couple years uh, might remember that we've been saying this, I think, almost from the get-go. Uh, you might remember my documentary on this. Uh, whatever, you know, they're here with us now. Well, welcome to the club, uh, you know, Department of Energy. Uh, we'll go over some of the evidence with this, talk about what they have. Also, the FBI apparently made this assessment as well, and they just didn't tell us publicly. Uh, well, they have now. So we'll go into we'll go into some of this today. Lab leak origin theory of COVID-19. Well, it's no longer conspiracy, folks. Also, um, it turns out the Biden administration, the Biden administration does look like they want to ban gas stoves. It started off as kind of a half joke. We didn't think they'd do it. Uh, Joe Biden, the White House, well, the Department of Energy now, they are moving forward with this, and they're going to move out bans on certain types of gas stoves that could wipe out roughly half of them on the market. Um, presumably, at least right now, this does not mean going into your home and tearing them out. Uh, this is more like restricting the marketplace on what they can or can't sell. Now, I'll go into why I think they're doing this. Uh, and we'll talk about that for a bit. And of course, folks, there's some stuff I cannot talk about on YouTube, such as Tucker Carlson getting unreleased footage over 40,000 hours from January 6th. Uh, that was report that was uh, provided to him by Speaker McCarthy, House Speaker McCarthy. We'll be talking about that later in the show. Um, I cannot talk about that on YouTube without getting a strike, and so we'll go into that after we jump over to Epic TV exclusively. And frankly, we'll see if they find anything that wasn't in my documentary on that as well, uh, because of course, you know, we had through some contacts access to a lot of that unreleased footage also, which tells a very different story from what the public's being told. All right, that said, folks, jump into the first stories for the day. Just a, a brief reminder again, we will jump over exclusively to Epoch TV after 25, 30 minutes or so, so be sure to join us there. All right, folks, that says, jump into the first story. A U.S. agency, the Department of Energy, is now saying that a lab leak is the most likely origin of COVID-19. And the timing on this is interesting because, as you may remember, folks, the World Health Organization, which the Biden administration is negotiating with as we speak, and the United Nations is going to be voting on as we speak within the next couple of days uh, to possibly hand over our sovereignty when it comes to who can declare pandemics and how to manage them to the World Health Organization. The World Health Organization on the side is making deals with the Chinese Communist Party that they're not going to be looking into the origin of the virus. Now you have this. Let me show you this. This is actually New York Times of all places has it. it. Says lab leak most likely origin of COVID-19 pandemic. Energy Department now says you don't say. <laughs> Sorry, Wall Street Journal. I apologize. It says this, folks. The U.S. Energy Department has concluded, conclusion, not just assessed, concluded that the COVID pandemic most likely arose from a laboratory leak, according to a classified intelligence report recently provided to the White House and key members of Congress. Now, it's classified, and I'd wonder why they're keeping it classified and not releasing it to us, because that seems like it's pretty dang important to know. But regardless, it says the shift by the Energy Department, which previously was undecided on how the virus emerged, 
is noted in an update to a 2021 document by the director by Director of National Intelligence Averill Haynes's office. The new report highlights how different parts of the intelligence community arrived at disparate judgments about the pandemic's origin. In other words, different members of the intelligence departments arrived at different conclusions. Based on all these assessments, they believe the lab leak origin is the most likely one. Ironically, if we look at Fauci's emails and other officials at NIH and so on, it looked like they were assessing this early on as well. In fact, there's even some suggestions that they may have actually watched my documentary on the origin of the virus where I gave pretty substantial evidence that it very likely came from a laboratory. Uh, it looked like they did watch it, but of course, rather than acknowledge it, they shut it down. And um, in fact, I think my I think if you try to post my documentary on Facebook to this day, they'll probably give you a warning for doing it. Um, it was bizarre, folks. Uh, let me go into this a bit more, then I'll talk about the documentary we did. It says, the Energy Department now joins the Federal Bureau of Investigations, that's the FBI, in saying the virus likely spread via a mishap at a Chinese laboratory. Four other agencies, along with National Intelligence Panel, still undecided, or sorry, still judge that it was likely the result of a natural transmission, and two are undecided. The Energy Department's conclusion is the result of new intelligence and is significant because the agency has considerable scientific expertise and oversees a network of U.S. national laboratories. Hence, they probably know about this stuff, right? Some of which conduct advanced biological research. The Energy Department made its judgment with low confidence, according to people who have read the classified report. But regardless, it did come to this conclusion. And the FBI, it says, previously came to, this, to the conclusion that the pandemic was likely the result of a lab leak in 2021 with moderate, moderate confidence and still holds this view. Why can we not talk about this more frequently or why is this not publicly assessed in the media for the most part? Well, you tell me, right? It says further in, U.S. officials declined to give details on the fresh intelligence and analysis that led the Energy Department to change its position. They added that while the Energy Department and the FBI each say an unintended lab leak is most likely, they arrived at those conclusions for different reasons. Now, uh, again, this is a classified document. We're not able to see what it actually says. We're taking Wall Street Journal's word for this, but hey... Sounds credible. I feel like I've heard it before, right? Now, folks, that being said, uh, you may, re I'm being slightly tongue in cheek, because those of you who remember a couple years ago, what, over two years ago, I, it was either late 2019 or early 2020. Uh, I, I made a documentary uh, called Investigating the Origin of COVID, of the China, of the Chinese uh, coronavirus or sorry, the Wuhan coronavirus. At the time, it was not even yet called COVID-19, so we didn't have the official name for it yet. And in that, of course, that was at a time when the origin, a lot of people were saying, was people suspected maybe a lab leak. The most common public assessment was that it uh, came from the Wuhan, uh, the Huanan uh, wet market. It was the seafood market where they had live animals and stuff, you might remember. The CCP was saying that, I noted in the documentary, that basically there was no, the evidence did not suggest that it actually came from that marketplace. It looked like it, looked like it was fake information. Sure enough, the CCP went in, basically destroyed the crime scene, so to speak, 
and of course then made it so nobody else could look into the origin of it. If you were to take that documentary, which actually is still on YouTube, they never deleted it, um, and you were to put it on Facebook, I think they would still fact check you. As I noted previously, uh, the, the initial Facebook fact check, which we had like 150 million views on that thing across all channels. Uh, the original Facebook fact check said that, um, you know, said it was fake and so on. The assessment was based, it, it was actually from somebody, it was a woman who actually worked at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. It was an actual scientist at that laboratory. And the assessment that the video was fake was based on this woman who worked at that laboratory, basically saying that the safety standards were high and there was no possibility of a virus leak, which is absolutely ridiculous because virus leaks happen all the time. Um, they later had some Brazilian uh, you know, scientist fact check it. But basically with all this, it was a bunch of nonsense, folks. Um, you know, there, there was no credible reason they had to, to debunk the article or try to fact check it. In fact, everything in that documentary has since been proven true. And if you watch it, actually, it's aged very well. Funny note, um, they even put an age restriction on people posting the video. It was literally just my face, uh, but they said it was sexually suggestive or something like that. You be the judge. You be the judge on it. That that was the documentary. Anyways, you know, I doubt I doubt I'm gonna get any credit for it. And I, even even then, there were other people saying it. But um, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't hurt to celebrate your victories, right? Um, can watch the documentary yourself. I think I think the evidence still stands in it. Uh, be sure to check it out. That said, folks, the Department of Energy, while noting that COVID-19 very likely came from a Chinese laboratory, is actually warning about an even greater threat to public health. Now, you've heard about the virus. You've heard about the China virus or the Wuhan virus. Maybe we can call it once again. But there may be a deadly pathogen in your own homes. And that is, according to the Department of Energy, gas stoves. Let me show you. Right. I, actually, I, I pulled it out. I think it was too ridiculous. But um, I, I'll go in further. I'll go into that later, actually. Right, let me show you it right here. This is it. Uh, Epic Times has a story. Biden administration proposes to block half, 50% of current gas, ra gas range models. Folks, we thought they were joking. Uh, I, I personally didn't think they'd move on this. I thought it would be basically the beginning of a big discussion about natural gas and so on. They're already moving on it. And it says this, a new regulation proposed by the Department of Energy would block half, 50% of, of current gas stove models from the market An analysis by the federal agency shows. And it says this, in a proposed regulation published at the beginning of February, Department of Energy set a maximum annual gas consumption of 1,204,000 1, British thermal units, that's KBTU, uh, also known as EL2 standard for all gas cooking tops. If the new regulation is finalized, only half of gas cooking tops will be able to meet the new standard. And it says that's half the products currently on the market will be blocked. I will emphasize as well that anytime new regulations are rolled out, they don't they don't go 100% immediately. They'll, they'll start off and they'll trickle it in. Uh, it's going to be, I, guarantee, I can almost guarantee, 
it's going to be this first, and then they're going to expand it to you know the next stage of it, and then the next, and then the next, until finally they can try to push them out altogether or make it too much of a, a liability for companies and so on to even try to sell them. Uh, this is typically how the regulatory state works. Right. As soon as you open the door to new regulations, they'll push the bar and continue pushing the bar until they get what they want. And in this case, I believe that what they want is not to get rid of gas stoves. I believe what they want is to get rid of natural gas altogether, uh, which if you read into the narratives when we discussed when this was first coming out as a public discussion, uh, that was what they were suggesting, was they wanted to get rid of gas, natural gas in homes altogether. It says this, DOE, that's the Department of Energy, estimates that nearly half of the total gas cooking top markets currently achieves EL2 and therefore would not be impacted by the proposed standard if finalized. Notice they're focusing on saying it's mostly okay. They're not noticing, they're not mentioning that, well, the other half would be banned, right? And that's the Department of Energy actually in an updated analysis they even published. And it says DOE issued the updated analysis mainly because it excluded certain types of gas cooking tops in the previous analysis that was published on February 1st. And it notes further in that only 4% of current gas cooking tops meet the EL2 standard, which was their previous analysis. And again, as I mentioned, with the regulatory state being the way it is, their initial one, folks meant that 96% of gas gas cooking stove tops would be out. 96%. They redid it to be only 50%, and they tooted their horns and said, hey, 50% of them are still okay. Um, I would wager that they'll probably try to change it eventually back to the original thing they released, because the original thing they released, in my opinion, typically shows what the real agenda is. Folks, another issue to go into... Do you know anybody who still wears face masks? Um, I, I do. I mean, and I have nothing personally against it. If you want to wear a face mask, all power to you. You know, go for it. Um, I, I do not like wearing them. Um, I'm aware also that they tend to create more bacteria than anything else. Uh, and lab analysis of face masks will show things like staph infection and other dangerous pathogens that are probably going to cause more health problems than even the virus. Um, especially if you're wearing a mask every single day and you're not washing it every single day or even even half the day, let alone little kids wearing them. And sure, you know, you might wash them every day or even use disposable ones or throw them out every day, but not everybody does. And that's basically creating little mini, mini Petri dishes strapped to people's faces uh, that can develop very dangerous pathogens as well. Uh, we'll note that in previous pandemics, it was shown the face masks actually killed more people than the virus as it did in some cases. But New York Times, of all places, is now coming out and acknowledging that the face masks, in their own words, did nothing. And they're saying, will any lessons be learned from this? Let me show you this, folks. This is New York Times. The exact title of this New York Times piece, keep in mind this is an opinion piece, but their opinion pieces tend to show the official positions of New York Times. It's usually where they're, it's usually where they're like opinion on the things they actually want to push are, right? They say this, the masks did nothing. Will any lessons be learned? And this is New York Times, folks. 
says the most rigorous and comprehensive analysis of scientific studies conducted on the efficacy of masks for reducing the spread of respiratory illness, including 19, notice this is not just, not just COVID, but in general, was published late last month. Its conclusion, said Tom Jefferson, the Oxford epidemiologist who was a lead author, were ambiguous, or sorry, unambiguous. And they say this, there was just no evidence that they, meaning masks, make any difference. Get that? There's no evidence that masks make any difference. And he told the journalist uh, Marianne Demasi, and he said, full stop, but wait, hold on, what about the N95 masks as opposed to the lower quality surgical or cloth masks? Because people were saying, remember, N95s do make some difference. That was the narrative, right? As opposed to like cloth masks or disposable masks. This is the exact quote. The N95 masks, quote, makes no difference. None of it. That's according to this study acknowledged by the New York Times, folks. It says, what about the studies that initially persuaded policymakers to impose mask mandates? Well, quote, they were convinced by non-randomized studies, flawed observational studies. Then it continues, what about the utility of masks in conjunction with other preventative measures, such as hand hygiene, physical distancing, air filtration? Well, quote, there's no evidence that many of these things make any difference. So folks, all that social distancing, all that wear your mask, uh, you're going to kill grandma if you go outside, put your mask on while you're on the plane, mask up while you're in school, your kids have to wear masks, all that, folks, was pointless. It made no difference. It did nothing, according to this. And it says... These observations don't come from just anywhere. Jefferson and 11 colleagues conducted the study on uh, Cotrain, a British nonprofit that is widely considered the gold standard for its review of healthcare data. The conclusions were based on 78 randomized controlled trials, six of them during the COVID pandemic, with a total of 610,872 participants in multiple countries. And they track what has been widely observed in the United States. States with mask mandates fared no better against COVID than those without. No study or study of studies is ever perfect because they're trying to write, wipe their hands and say, hey, don't blame us, right? They say science is never absolutely settled, except when they claim it's settled like on, you know, many things like evolution and uh, global warming or climate change or whatever, right? Which Technically, even then, it's not settled. But they say, what's more, the analysis does not prove that proper masks properly worn had no benefit on an individual level. Well, this is New York Times trying to walk things back. The, sci the studies in no way suggested that that works either. They're basically saying, well, there's no evidence these things had any effect, but there's no evidence that they did not have an effect if you did this, because I wasn't included in the study. There's no evidence. The entire thing was based on nothing. The entire thing was fake and it had no effect and all those totalitarian policies did absolutely nothing. And that's what we're finding now, folks. New York Times states, people may have good personal reasons to wear masks, not 
not scientifically, but maybe makes them feel safe. And it says, and they may have the discipline to wear them consistently. Good for them. The choices are their own. When it comes to the population level benefits of masking, the verdict is in. Mask mandates were a bust. Those skeptics who were furiously mocked as cranks and occasionally censored as misinformers, occasionally, for opposing mandates were right. The, the mainstream experts and pundits who support mandates were wrong. It's nice of them to finally acknowledge that. <sighs> but remember, folks, you have the Atlantic now calling for like amnesty on all these policies because they're acknowledging, hey, the mask mandates, the social distancing, the lockdowns, even in fact, the vaccines really are not making any difference. Uh, they're now acknowledging it's public now that natural immunity is better than the vaccines. <laughs> Those of you who didn't get vaccinated are better off at least if you've gotten the virus, uh, than those who, you know, got the vaccines or the shots, whatever you want to call them. The information coming out now is basically proving that everything we were told was fake, and most of the things that the crazy conspiracy community uh, said was actually true. Go figure. And so here we are, folks, living the, living the dream. <laughs> the scary thing with all this, though, in my opinion, the scary thing with all this is they're not done pushing for these agendas. They're not done pushing for these these types of mandates. And if the World Health Organization gets the uni, unilateral powers to manage global health pandemics, they're still behind this kind of stuff. You know, it's an exercise at this point, basically in terms of whether the public will agree to things that are illogical. This is my personal opinion. Will the public do things that are not that have no basis in fact? Will the public defend free speech laws that they know are fake, right? If if in other words, if the let's say New York Times or some public official comes out and says, "Folks, it is disinformation, dangerous extremism to suggest that face masks don't work and that anybody who says this needs to be reported to the authorities and needs to be banned from social media, which actually did happen in many cases. There are people online who will blindly support that. They will, they will report people to you know Facebook or Twitter or wherever else and try to get them banned for saying that, for spreading medical misinformation. That was the narrative, right? There are people who will spread that regardless of the facts. There are people who will wear face masks regardless of the facts, even after you like just shower them with facts, even after you show them studies and articles saying they don't do anything. There's no effect that's positive, at least. Um, you know, maybe maybe you have a petri dish attached to your face that's creating new bacteria and so on like that. But other than that, it doesn't do anything beneficial. In fact, vitamin D, some some proper sunlight would have actually done a lot better than most of the stuff based on studies we're seeing now. There are people who don't care. And the reason is, again, I think a lot of this, in my opinion, was more an exercise in adherence to policy regardless of fact. Uh, almost like witnessing whether people will throw aside their reason and just follow things because it's easier, because doing so means you won't get yelled at or called names. Uh, basically, is Natalie Donskoy is saying, the brainwashed, unfortunately. And of course, um, 
you know, I mean, if I was on an airplane, I wore a face mask because they'd throw me off otherwise. And I witnessed some scary, I witnessed some scary things traveling during the pandemic as well. Um, I remember one of the most, one of the more shocking moments I had during the pandemic, because, you know, technically I was an essential worker, so I could travel during the pandemic and I'd be on airplanes and everybody was paranoid and wearing face masks and stuff. I remember a very bizarre scene one time and there was a, a male flight attendant who was very feminine, right? And there were these obvious, you know, Trump supporter types who were refusing to wear face masks. And this male flight attendant, you know, kicked them off the plane. And you could, it was a bizarre moment where the flight attendant, after kicking off these men that were, who were much larger than him, then stood in the center of the airplane and just scoured the entire, like the entire plane, like he was searching for someone else to kick off. It was this bizarre moment where it was very obvious in this individual that he had never experienced power before. He had never experienced that type of power over others. He could finally, you could see it in his eyes, finally have the authority he dreamed of for the people he deemed as conspiracy theorists, as being at the time the narrative was far-right extremists, if you don't wear a face mask. The people who were deemed in that camp, that he had the power to attack them. He had the power to harm them. He had the power to do something to them, to have the authorities come and drag them off an airplane. He had never experienced anything like that before. And you could see this glint in his eye of just this power that he finally could feel. It was really bizarre. Um, it, it reminded me of this kind of like, you know, studies you hear about, uh, for example, people carrying out abuses in concentration camps, like they did with like electric batons and so on. Uh, that people, once you give them the type of power, you know, they there are some people who do tend to abuse it, and it's it's a scary image to see. It was a very it was a very scary image to see, actually. That said, folks. Despite the facts, despite the New York Times coming out with the facts, despite the fact that all the, you know, all the scientific data now is showing these mask mandates do nothing, the CDC is not going to change any of it. The CDC is not going to back off these policies, at least according to what they're saying. Let me show you. Let me show you this. This is on Twitter, folks. The CDC is saying its mask mandates are not going to be changing. And this was actually an official public statement made during a public hearing. And it says here, let me just play it for you, folks. When asked if the CDC would revise its guidance to ma mandate masks in schools, fight off the, uh, in light of the co-train review, the one we just talked about, right? So she's responding to that study that the New York Times was responding to. CD, this is CDC Director Walensky uh, saying that regardless of the studies, doesn't matter. Let me play it for you. In fact, the CDC is currently the only national or international public health agency that recommends masking two-year-old children. I'd like you to explain in detail the process and the timeline by which evidence such as this is used by the CDC to update, modify, or necessarily withdraw current guidance. 
Great, thank you for the opportunity to clarify on those points. So I believe you're referring to the Cochrane Review study. This is an important study, but the Cochrane Review only includes randomized clinical trials. And as you can imagine, many of the randomized clinical trials that were included in that were for other respiratory viruses, not COVID-19. Some of them were for COVID-19, just to be clear, but it is very different for COVID-19 because you have a, a, pre, a virus that a different from flu, potentially different from SARS or MERS, transmits before you actually have symptoms. So, it's also the case that the, one of the limitations in that study was clearly stated that um, people were not actually engaged in the intervention. So you actually have to wear the mask okay. for it to work. Okay. So there Dr. are lots Walensky? of studies now in Georgia. Dr. Walensky, why are we masking our kids today? You know, thank you. Also, so our guidance um, for school-based masking is related to our COVID-19 community levels. And fortunately, we're in a place now in this country where most of our country is in green or yellow, um, has uh, lower, um, low or moderate transmission or COVID-19 community levels. And in those situations, we actually don't recommend masking. We recommend it for high COVID-19 community so, levels. So what is your timeline? for updating, reevaluating these guide guidance? You know, our masking guidance doesn't really change um, with time. What it changes with is disease. So when there's a lot of disease in the community, we recommend that those communities and those schools mask. When there's less disease in the community, we recommend that those masks can come off. So, okay, so it's just gonna continue. You get that, folks. Of course, in my opinion, she's being ridiculous. Uh, because what she what she's stating, her reason for not acknowledging that Co uh, the Cochrane study we just mentioned that New York Times even acknowledges, is because she says it wasn't it wasn't just about COVID nineteen. It was about other respiratory viruses, and it was an international study, right? <laughs> well, look, she acknowledges it included COVID nineteen. The nature of that study was that the masks were ineffective against any respiratory virus, including COVID nineteen. But she's saying because it was a mixed study that included COVID-19, among other respiratory viruses, that it should not be acknowledged by the CDC. In my opinion, absolutely ridiculous logic being used to continue what are absolutely authoritarian, totalitarian, and frankly abusive policies uh, by the government agencies she oversees. Um, quite ridiculous, in my opinion. All right, that said, folks, let me, let's jump over to Epic TV. We'll talk about something we can't talk about on YouTube, which is the unreleased footage from January 6th. Um, big stuff with this. I can't show you it on YouTube, though, or they will kick me off. Uh, that said, folks, before we jump over, let me show you a trailer. You might remember my investigations into the origin of the virus. Let me show you a trailer of that because it's becoming relevant yet again. You can still watch it on YouTube and on Epoch TV, but let me show you the trailer. Then we'll jump over. They were working on developing a coronavirus for the human host. Leads you to question, why would you be creating a coronavirus that can infect humans? That means virus now can infect human cells much easier. I noticed that after the outbreak, the Wuhan Institute of Virology kept strangely quiet. Who is the real boss of the P4 laboratory? I believe they're developing him. I think they want to be the most advanced nation on earth when it comes to biological weapons. We 
what they're true. It's time for the United States to defend itself. The real disease here is communism. What was the Chinese Communist Party trying to hide? Anyways, folks, you can still watch that documentary both on YouTube and on Epoch TV on the Crossroads channel. So be sure to check it out. That is the highly censored documentary, uh, which is still holding up despite all the attacks. Uh, be sure to watch it, folks, because it's ever more relevant. <laughs> that says jump over to Epoch TV, folks, and I will see you there for the rest of the episode. And thank you for being here. Um, well... <laughs> You know, I'm in, I'm in an interesting place right now because I'm watching the stuff come out with the COVID-19, you know, investigations into the possible origin of the virus in a, in a laboratory, which I've been talking about for over two years now. And now we're watching Tucker Carlson getting video footage of January 6th, which frankly, at least as far as I'm concerned, is probably going to prove true as well. The documentary I did on January 6th, which is the real story of January 6th. Um, if you haven't seen it, be sure to watch it. Basically, folks, um, un there was over 40,000 hours of unreleased video footage. This was these surveillance cameras and so on on January 6th, which, in my opinion, because I've seen a lot of it, shows a very, very different picture than what you're being told publicly on what took place on January 6th. If you were to watch my documentary, The Real Story of January 6th, I think, frankly, you'll get a good idea of what that shows, which is significant evidence of entrapment. Also significant evidence that, uh, frankly, the breach of, of the Capitol building took place prior to the main crowd arriving there. In fact, took place while Trump was still speaking at the Ellipse. That the main instigators during the initial breach, while Trump was still speaking, many of them have not been charged. We don't even know who many of them are. And that there were intentional, it appears because doc documents are coming out now, intentional evidence or in intentional, there's evidence that there was an intentional reduction of security. And that would have been Nancy Pelosi, uh, Muriel Bowser, and others who would be responsible for that raising questions of what really took place on January 6th. Well, uh, of course, my documentary showed that, but I do believe now that a lot of what my documentary showed is going to become just publicly accepted knowledge at this point. I, I strongly believe uh, that the reporting is going to soon be broadly vindicated and proven true because Tucker Carlson has now been given the unreleased video footage. Uh, Speaker McCarthy gave that to him. And a lot of what I had in the documentary was this type of footage. Um, I had a few sources who had obtained this video evidence and uh, through our own assessments and viewing of, I don't even know how many hours, a lot of that footage, uh, we were able to come to the conclusions we came to in the documentary we made. Get ready for it. The next, next big vindication uh, is going to come out. Uh, before we go into this, I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you these clips and we'll go into it. Folks, you know, this is kind of where I'm at with these things. Every time I do one of these documentaries, you have no idea how much I get attacked. 
I got attacked like you wouldn't believe for the January 6th documentary. I think I had someone, actually a former friend of mine, tell me that I should be charged with sedition for even releasing that documentary. Um, with the with the COVID nineteen one, I mean, I think I think I had hate mail coming from every corner of the world against me. <laughs> you know, it was wild. I had probably four hundred emails a day. Um, many of them were positive, but I had been attacked like you wouldn't believe. Um, typically, the way I see it is, I don't mind being attacked in the interim, as long as I'm proven true, as long as I'm shown to be right eventually. And I personally believe very strongly. As long as you stick by the facts, that's all that matters, you know. It's just the nature of things that if you go against the grain, you're going to be attacked. And I have the tendency to very often go against the grain. Um, I like making my own assessments. I don't like following the pack or following the crowd. I like looking at things myself, coming to my own conclusions, and then reporting things as I observe them. That's just how I work. And I'm not going to just follow the pack when I when I see that what they're doing is frankly fake or false. Um, and so very often you will see me go against the grain and oftentimes get myself in a lot of trouble for doing so, it seems. Uh, but it does feel nice to get vindicated. It, do, it does feel nice to get shown to be that, that my reporting was accurate. Um, unfortunately, usually that happens like two or three years after the fact. And... Um, people tend to forget that I got it right. And before it does come out, like I've already been censored or attacked so much. Like, you know, I'm still to this day, you know, I'm still demonetized and my my account is frozen on YouTube. People can still watch Crossroads on YouTube, but there's no growth and I can't, I can't make a living off it. Um, and basically that was because of what is now shown to be true information that I published. In fact, I think YouTube mainly kicked me off because of my January 6th reporting. And so here we are, the truth of January 6th, hopefully coming out now. We'll see what Tuck, we'll see, we'll see what Tucker releases on it. You know, this is, this is of course, betting that Tucker is going to release accurate information based on his previous reporting. He did a, a, a short series um, about January 6th as well. Based on his previous report, I do think he will be accurate with it, but we'll see. Uh, but this could prove true what I've already reported. In the real story of January 6th. If you haven't watched it, be sure to check it out, by the way. Let me show you this. Daily Wire has it. They say, Kevin McCarthy breaks silence on giving January 6th tapes to Tucker Carlson. And it says, two days after news broke that Fox News host Tucker Carlson received access to tens of thousands of hours of January 6th U.S. Capitol surveillance footage, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy opened up about why he made the disclosure. And he said, quote, I promised... And he told New York Times on Wednesday, he says, I was asked in the press about these tapes, and I said they do belong to the American public. I think Sunshine lets everybody make their own judgment. The speaker said last month he was going to release the tapes because of the politicization he believed had been fostered by former Speaker Nancy Pelosi and the January 6th committee, the Democrat-led committee that again framed a lot of the narratives that this was sedition and so on which focused heavily on former President Donald Trump and its investigations and final report, but McCarthy did not divulge how he was planning to do so. Axios first reported on Monday that McCarthy shared with Carlson about 41,000 hours of surveillance footage from January 6th of 2021. 
the day a crowd of people entered the U.S. Capitol, disrupted lawmakers, and were meeting who were meeting to certify President Joe Biden's 2020 election victory. Keep on this is Daily Wire. It says a Fox News spokesperson told the Daily Wire that the report from Axios was accurate. Hours later, Tucker Carlson said on his show, Tucker Carlson tonight, that his team had been granted. So this was true had been granted what they believed to be unfettered access to the tapes. And he plans to start sharing what they found next week. That's going to be this week. So we'll see what he releases. Uh, Tucker Carlson this week that we're currently in is supposed to be releasing his assessment after watching at least, I assume, some of those 41,000 hours. I don't know if they could watch 41,000 hours in just a week, but we'll see. And they said this, some of our, this is Tucker Carlson saying this, some of our smartest producers have been there looking at this stuff, trying to figure out what it means and how it contradicts or not the story that we've been told for more than two years. We think already that in some ways it does contradict that story. And I can tell you as someone who's seen a lot of this footage, it absolutely contradicts the story and frankly you can watch some of that footage in my documentary which we received from a few different sources let me show you this this is the this is a red state doing a follow-up on that they say the tucker effect news outlets are suddenly interested in obtaining the january 6 video footage well i would like to obtain all forty-one thousand hours personally and it says, two days after the news broke that, Fo- broke that Fox News host Tucker Carlson received access to tens of thousands of hours of January 6th U.S. Capitol surveillance footage, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy opened up about why he made the disclosure. And he said, again, I promised. Basically now, you have a lot of different news outlets trying to get that footage. You have a lot of different news outlets trying to get it. And the sudden interest in getting that footage presumably is two reasons. One, because those who want to maintain the narrative that it was an insurrection and that, uh, that again, you know, basically was all Trump's fault and so on. They're going to want to, you know, cherry pick footage and show what they want to show. Basically, they've cherry picked it to death. And I would argue that most of what's be- what's already public is basically just that cherry picked footage. The real footage, the stuff that actually shows what actually matters, and the stuff that frankly shows what I showed in my documentary is the stuff not being made public. And again, you know, the January 6th committee, they were doing terrible things such as removing audio from footage to erase the context of what was being discussed. One, one individual, for example, fell on top of a police officer. You can hear the individual saying on the video recording, I'm sorry, officer, let's get up together. He's apologizing to the officer. The J6 committee removed the audio to make it appear this individual was assaulting the police officer when the audio made it clear that he was apologizing and he had stumbled and fell. Ridiculous things like that. They were removing, for example, the full context of videos where you would only see one, you know, maybe the end of a clip, but not the entire context of footage, which would actually prove innocent a lot of people. Uh, they, they, they did not show, for example, video evidence that very obviously shows police instigating the crowds, which if you watch my documentary, um, The Real Story of January 6th, you remember we showed the footage of them lobbying, exp- lobbying explosive munitions into the crowd, and we note, based on various assessments we brought on Stan Keffert, one of the top guys on this, that the evidence suggests that it was instigation. 
you would call that entrapment. And let me show you this because we're getting some of it now. This is a time-lapse, this is time-lapse footage. And what it shows here, this is DC Drano. He says, time-lapse video of the west side of the Capitol shows the crowd move past police lines at 2.27 p.m. Eastern time. You know what happened right at that time? Body cam footage shows a cop shooting a tear gas grenade into police lines, causing them to retreat for air. In other words, the act that we showed in that documentary of the this remember the officer was acting really crazy, saying we need more munitions. He's throwing explosive munitions into the crowd, grabbing them off other other police officers' vests, pulling the pin, blindly lobbing them. That is the moment when the crowd became unruly. That was the trigger, at least in this particular area. This is the west side of the Capitol. Let me show this time-lapse footage. You be the judges. You get that, folks? Peaceful hey, protest. This is the cop. Right over there. Wherever the hell we're from. Right over there. Put it out. Hey, Rich. Put it up in the fucking scaffolding. Hey, I'll make sure. Oh, no. Yes. Basically, that officer, he, he gets the officers to gas themselves, first of all, and then he runs around crazily, uh, even grabbing explosive munitions off the vests of other officers, blindly lobs them into the crowd. Uh, until that moment, it was a normal protest, at least in that particular area. And this, these actions, based on the assessment of Stan Keffart, would be violations in use of force. Uh, these were things that could have killed people based on the explosions that did go off and people who had heart attacks or heart complications and died, two individuals died. Uh, this may have actually played a role in that. We don't currently know. Uh, but again, we do show video evidence that two individuals who died of heart issues in that exact area were struck by explosive munitions shortly before dying. Uh, we know that the people breaking, you know, basically breaking and charging and so on happened after the police began using unauthorized use of force. And we do know that basically, again, that would constitute unauthorized use of force, instigating a crowd, using munitions in ways they're not meant to be. They're not dispersing, they're not arresting, they're just instigating the crowd. That you would call you would call that entrapment. You would call that entrapment. 
And I guarantee you that the little bit we're seeing come out now is just the tip of the iceberg. You're going to see a whole lot more of this, folks, and uh, get ready for it. We'll be covering it as it comes out, um, or you could just watch my documentary, The Real Story of January 6th, which actually I recommend watching it before the new information comes out because I'm, I'm decently confident that what you will see will vindicate the reporting we already did. Uh, but we'll see. You know, it's all up in the air right now. That said, folks, there's some really bizarre stuff coming out in Arizona right now. I don't know if you all saw this. I want to be clear. This is purely accusations coming out, and I'm showing you this as accusations. I'm not making these accusations. I'm merely showing you what is being reported. But there's major accusations coming out now from a law firm and other individuals in Arizona saying that the Arizona Senate House election presenter, this is, this is from the Arizona Senate slash House election presenter claiming that the, that the Sinaloa drug cartel is using bribes, money laundering, and election fraud to control elected officials in the United States. Uh, and they're also trafficking drugs, doing human trafficking, tra even trafficking ballots for elections, specifically in Arizona. This is a massive, uh, if, if true, this would be massive. Um, I looked at the evidence document. I will say that they, they're going to need to provide a little more evidence if they're going to have this actually, you know, have an impact. Uh, but it's a, it's a major accusation that was actually made during an official hearing. I'll even show you part of that clip. But let me show you some of the reporting on it. Daily Pundit said this. They said, during the meeting, legislators uh, considered a presentation by Jacqueline Breger, which, if true, exposed absolutely bombshell information regarding massive corruption and collusion between American politicians, appointed government officials, and the Sinaloa cartels. The money laundering and racketeering scheme allegedly used fraudulent mortgages, real estate transactions, and insurance claims in Maricopa County to hide money made through cartel human trafficking, drug trafficking, and bribery of elected officials, and to rig elections, intimidate, or murder those who threaten the operation. Um, I won't go over who's being accused of this. It's a lot of them. Actually, I will. Uh, but basically, many officials in Arizona are being accused of accepting bribes from the Mexican drug cartels, uh, in particular the Sinaloa drug cartel, which was El Chapo's cartel. The accusations are coming from John Thaler of Harris slash Thaler Law Firm. And it's not just against a few of the elected officials. This is against a ton of them. Let me show you a quick clip of the actual public hearing where these accusations were made. Um, we'll start at 13 minutes on this where they go over some of this. Let me play it for you. Including the outcome of the race for Maricopa County Recorder <coughs> and the outcome of the November 8th, 2022 election race for governor, secretary of state and attorney general. Public officials who have received bribes include multi-state office holders, state house and state senate, local office holders, county supervisors, judges in the Maricopa Supreme Court, judges of some city courts, including two presiding judges, judges assistants, prosecutors within certain cities within Maricopa County, prosecutors for Maricopa County, 
peripheral legal specialists, including attorneys, approved mental health care providers, as in court-appointed advisors and related specialists. In the Superior Court of Maricopa County and Pinal County and Pima County, at least 25% of the active judges have accepted bribes. You get that 25% of active judges accepted bribes, at least according to this woman. It goes on and on and on. Um, I'll emphasize, I do not know if these are true. I do not know if these are accurate accusations. This is based on her, frankly, the weight's on her shoulders. If it's true, I hope she can prove it. I hope the evidence fully comes out and I hope it's investigated. I can say on my end, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm choking on my drink. Um, I can say on my end, <coughs> excuse me, I can say on my end, I've actually found similar things in my own reporting. Um, mainly when I was when I was researching Chinese front operations in New York, I came to very similar conclusions. Um, what I found was not the Sinaloa cartel. What I found was actually um, the triads, the China, the Chinese mafia, was uh, was doing the same thing. Um, I, I knew, for example, <clears throat> I've, I've actually reported this previously. One sec. <clears throat> My reporting back in 2008, uh, between 2008 and roughly 2012, actually helped put, I believe, two people in prison uh, for very similar operations. Um, I was researching the, um, the Fukian American, sorry, I was researching what's called the United Front Work Department, which tied into the Chinese Mafia. Basically, the United Front Work Department, uh, you, you may have seen folks, some of these reports come out, I'll go into some of this as well. You may have seen some of these reports coming out that the Chinese Communist Party has police outposts in the United States. The technical name for those, um, mainly what they're talking about are what, what are called tongs. Tongs are fraternal organizations. You can think of them like guilds or hometown associations or like clubs. Beneath those are oftentimes the Chinese mafia. You call them the triads. And underneath different different guilds or tongs, whatever you want to call them, are different Chinese gangs. Um, for example, in New York City, one of the main ones I was looking into is is the Fukian American Association, based on many much reporting. Beneath the Fukian American Association is the Fuk Ching Gang. They're one of the largest mafias in the entire world. They're one of the largest transnational organized crime groups on earth. They operate relatively openly in, in New York City. The problem, in a, aside from the fact that you have these guys operating in America, um, briefly, you know, they were involved in the Golden Venture, which was one of the largest human trafficking operations ever exposed, is one example of this. Um, just as, of the Fuqing gang in particular. You have others, On Liang, Ghost Shadows, you know, different ones and so on. They, they, many of them operate like this. The issue is the Chinese Communist Party has a branch of its government that does what they call liaison work. And this is not just the government, it's also on the military side. There's the political warfare department um, of the Chinese Communist Party. And then on the government side, there's the United Front Work Department. And then alongside that, the Overseas Chinese Affairs Office. These do what they call liaison work. And what they do is they operate through the Chinese consulates, and then they go to the different tongs, these guilds I mentioned, and they try to win them over on behalf of the Chinese Communist Party. Once they do that, 
they get these little sections of power, again, overseas Chinese affairs, meaning they basically are united front, the united front line of the Chinese Communist Party, pushing the agendas of the CCP. This is basically creating CCP-owned territory on foreign soil. The CCP runs these organizations. And again, the new reporting coming out on Chinese police departments operating in New York City or in Ireland or in uh, Italy or in Canada, um, again, on American soil even, those are the tongs. The, those are the organizations that I worked for years to expose. Um, and in fact, they, 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 they were threatening to kill me uh, for several years, um, even, and I'm, I mean, like, not like, you know, sending angry emails, like they would, one time I was actually surrounded by them uh, in New York, and they, they, a big group of them just told me they were going to kill me, you know what I mean? Uh, so very direct death threats. Uh, these individuals, you know, they do stuff like that. <clears throat> Back to the point of what we're seeing in Arizona. I'll emphasize, I do not know if this is true. I don't know if Arizona officials are working with the Sinaloa cartels, but I will say that the Chinese Communist Party is doing the same thing that they're being accused of. Uh, because what I uncovered in New York City was that they were ba the um, Chinese mafia, with the CCP behind it, were actually backing political campaigns. Um, one of the individuals I exposed pretty heavily was John Liu. He was a former New York City council, uh, city council member. Later, he became New York City controller, and then later he was actually running for mayor. Behind him was a huge campaign by the Fukian American Association and the Fukqing Gang by extension, the Chinese Mafia, doing voter drives, fundraising, and so on. They ended up getting investigated. I believe that my reporting maybe helped work as a red flag to get them investigated. And it turned out that the CCP organization was doing straw donors for him. Um, two individuals went to prison. One of the individuals who went to prison was Jenny Ho. Uh, she was the daughter. This was not mentioned in the court, court case, of course. Jenny Ho was the daughter of the head of the Peking Association, who was personal friends with even running the operations of bringing U.S. officials back to China through the Overseas Chinese Affairs Office, basically running a Chinese spy operation. Um, the other individual who was arrested was... Um, was actually the head, the former leader of the uh, Fukian American Association, basically a Chinese mob boss, essentially. Um, I think the way the media framed it, they didn't actually mention who these people were, uh, but I've, I, of course, reported it very heavily. And in fact, I, I even won an award for that reporting um, through the New York Press Association. Um, ancient history at this point. You know, of course, that was back in like 2012. My, my point being, though, what this article is mentioning actually does take place. You do have mafias. You do have organized crime organizations backing political campaigns in the United States. Um, the CCP and its United Front Work Department has heavy operations on this. Uh, for example, one of, part of the role of the United Front is to take take elected officials or even candidates and bring them on trips back to China. <clears throat> Basically, you get five-star trips, you pay maybe $200 for it, something like that, because they technically can't accept the money. They take them on trips back to China, brainwash them, and then offer them deals. Chinese, Chinese espionage works on five different points. Um, let me explain this. In the West, we would define motivation for engaging in espionage 
under the acronym MICE, Money, Ideology, Coercion, or Ego. In China, they, they identify basically moral flaws. And so they'll try to target you for fame. Um, if, you, if you want to get famous, they'll bring you to China. They'll literally roll out a red carpet for you. They, they often do this to like academics or like college professors and so on because, you know, they're here in the United States. They feel they don't get recognized. They go to China. They literally roll out a red carpet. They'll have big events. They'll have Chinese students ask them very smart questions. And they'll be like, oh, you're so amazing. You're so smart. I bet you're really famous back in your country. Of course, these Polish professors who are being subverted will think to themselves, no, actually, back in my country, I'm not appreciated, but I'm appreciated here. And that's part of the game, right? That's fame. There's also power. For example, if you're a political, if you want to rise up in business or greed, for example, they'll help you rise up in business. If you're a politician, they'll actually do voter drives using their overseas networks to push your campaign. Uh, they'll get senior centers and they'll bust the people to vote for you. Um, as we saw in New York City, they'll they'll get straw donors. They'll even, they, they were even actually reimbursing donations using advertisements in Chinese state media, crazy stuff like that. Basically, a lot of what the Sinaloa cartel is being accused of in Arizona with all these Arizona officials, the CCP does the same thing. And I will say as well that the a lot of these drug cartels work very heavily with the Chinese Communist Party. The Chinese Communist Party supplies the drugs, um, including fentanyl, and also the precursor chemicals, including for things like methamphetamine. They do the money laundering for the cartels. A lot of that's through the what you call the Vancouver model. Um, you can watch some of my videos where I talk about the Vancouver model. Uh, they also, for example, uh, carry out some of the direct, more direct operations. And so there's direct overlap between the Chinese network systems I'm mentioning and these drug cartels. And I've personally seen evidence that the Sinaloa cartel is involved in other things in the United States including some of the BLM networks, including uh, connections to groups like Antifa. There's some evidence of that and other things like that. And so, again, I cannot attest to the validity of the claims in Arizona, but I can say that I have personally exposed and even helped probably get people put in prison through my reporting uh, very similar things being run through the Chinese Communist Party. And so it would not surprise me. Uh, we'll see what comes out from it, but that's what's, being, that's what's coming out now. Speaking of the Chinese Communist Party, though, I would say they're actually a bigger issue than the Sinaloa cartel. Uh, their operations are broader. They're more aggressive with it. They're just as corrupt, frankly. And a lot of what the cartels do, the CCP does as well, including backing the cartels. I would even say the CCP has a leadership role over a lot of the cartels. Um, you can read a book, for example, the, uh, called Red Cocaine by Joseph Douglas, detailing how a lot of the cartel operations actually were from CCP operations. But let me show you this, folks, because that's also being called out now. I will tell you just bluntly, based on someone who's been researching this stuff literally since 2008, um, this has been a big part of my life's work is exposing this stuff. As someone who's been on the ground getting death threats, reporting on these groups. If you were to see how many elected officials, candidates, judges, lawyers, academics, 
people of influence, police officers, politicians of all different levels, all the way down to your local city council members, um, heads of businesses, people right, you know, doing scientific research. If you were to see the number of these people, actors in Hollywood, if you were to see the number of these people who have been subverted by the Chinese Communist Party, you would be absolutely sick to your stomach. There are full-scale operations, entire government agencies in China dedicated to this. Um, again, general political department on the military, uh, but they've actually changed the name of it now, but that, there, you can find reporting on it still. And United Front Work Department on the government side. Full-time operations dedicated to subverting people in the United States. Pretty much, They call it leadership capture. Uh, the technical term they use for it is liaison work. But this is being called out now. And let me show you this, folks. Epic Times has a story. We have been blind. This is Representative Gallagher warning of Chinese police outposts in the U.S. I'll emphasize again, these Chinese police outposts, folks, those are just the tongs. Those are tongs. Specifically the ones who are, that have been infiltrated by the CCP, because not all of them are technically bad, but the CCP, the ones they've infiltrated, will serve this purpose. They work, they work as police stations, essentially. And it says this. Members of the House Select Committee on China are pledging to redouble their efforts to counter Beijing's ongoing threats to its targets on U.S. soil. Standing in front of a now shuttered overseas Chinese police outpost in downtown Manhattan on February 25th and surrounded by dozens of pro-democracy activists, Representative Mike Gallagher, the chairman of the House Select Committee on China, likened the threats from the Chinese Communist Party to those of a mafia. Because, well, underneath those tongs would be, in fact, the mafia anyways. But he says this, emphasizing what I just told you all. He said, quote, they buy off politicians, multi multinational organizations, companies, and in some cases, law enforcement. They use muscle and threats instead of persuasion. And like the mafia, they're afraid to make people, they're, they are afraid to make people disappear. I think he meant they're not afraid to make people disappear because I was told that directly by some people that they, they'll even tell people that, that they can make them disappear. He told this to listeners at the press event. And having spoken to dozens of Chinese dissidents, he said, it was, quote, rare to find anyone who has not experienced some low-level forms of digital harassment from the CCP. One Chinese-American citizen was detained against her will in China for eight months while she was pregnant. And rep um, again, this is uh, right here, Gallagher, Representative Gallagher said, we have been blind while the CCP has been very cunning. He was joined by Representative uh, Richie Torres, a Democrat, and Representative Neil Dunn, a Republican, who are both members of the China Committee. And they continued. he continued stating, Now they want to export that repression around the world, and the only thing standing in their way is our will to defend our values. Again, folks, what they're saying is absolutely true. Um, my life's work to this point has been heavily maybe been more than this now uh, but this was my sole focus for several years and um, I was probably one of the first people at least in the United States 
at least at least of English of the English speakers to report actually on the United Front Work Department. In fact, some of the some of the very first U.S. government reports from the U.S. China Economic Review Office uh, Review Commission, uh, some of their initial reports on these operations were almost entirely based on my reporting. Uh, just emphasizing, you know, I'm I I'm a, I've, I'm a, I don't I guess I don't toot my horn too much, but I, I'm one of the few authorities on this, and I was for a very long time. Um, I've actually lectured at the Air Force Air Academy on this. I've lectured at Harvard about this. I've lectured at Penn um, in, the, in New York City, some of the universities here. Um, I've given a lot of presentations on this over the years. I was one of the initial, I guess you could say, whistleblowers on this, you know, as a journalist. And um, I, faced, I got a lot of flack for it and a lot of death threats for it. But here you see it coming out, and I'm glad to see it finally coming out. Um, I'm not, I don't maybe care too much about getting credit for it. For me, I'm just glad that the truth's coming out. Um, because the, in my opinion, this network is the biggest threat to the United States. This, this is the biggest threat to the United States. And I'll even say a lot of what we talk about with election fraud and so on, a lot of it comes from China. Um, not just fraud, but you know, even the subversion of our public officials. It's the CCP. This is this is the biggest threat to the United States. I can say definitively. And again, it's why I've dedicated so much of my my life actually to exposing it. All right, folks. Let me show you one last thing, then we'll jump over to questions. Um, Woody Harrelson actually this lighter note, right? Lighter note. Woody Harrelson is getting flack right now because he was on Saturday Saturday Night Live. And he criticized Big Pharma. Let me show you this, folks, and we'll jump into questions. If you have questions, leave them in the chat now. But let me play this video for you. And start reading. Okay, so the movie goes like this. The biggest drug cartels in the world get together and buy up all the media and all the politicians and force all the people in the world to stay locked in their homes. And people can only come out if they take the cartel's drugs and keep taking them over and over. I threw the script away. I mean, who is going to believe that crazy idea of being forced to do drugs? I do that voluntarily all day long. Anyway, it's... <laughs> he got in trouble for saying that, folks. That's Woody Harrelson. Again, he was on um, Saturday Night Live. And basically what he's saying is this. He's saying that, you know, that he's joking kind of tongue in cheek. And he's saying that he was given a script for a movie and it was just too far out because the movie script had it where a drug, you know, the, one of the biggest drug cartels or drug traffickers had bought control of politicians, the media, and basically created policies to lock people in their homes unless they took the drug that the cartel was, you know, manufacturing. He's, of course, making a tongue-in-cheek reference to COVID-19 and the shots. Um, <clears throat> you know, call them what you will, right? Uh, he's, basically, he's basically talking about how Big Pharma finances political campaigns, finances a lot of the organizations making the, making the calls when it comes to COVID policy and even does some of the major advertising for almost all the mainstream media, and that they were the ones basically running, basically 
pushing for the policies and then running the products that could get you, you know, free, get your freedom back. If you, you know, take their drug and you have your freedom back. <clears throat> That's what he was joking about. Funny note on Woody Harrelson, by the way. Um, I, I mentioned before that I partly grew up in Costa Rica. I'm not Costa Rican. My dad was a big surfer. We used to go down there during the winters. I'd actually homeschool for a few months a year. And uh, we, we had a house on the Osa Peninsula. <clears throat> I'll say it now because we don't actually have it anymore. This is my dad's, uh, for, my former stepmom. Yeah, they, they're divorced now. Uh, we had a house on the Osa Peninsula, which is the second peninsula down the, on the Pacific side. Uh, the nearest town was a place called Jimenez. And when I was a kid, it was like, it was pretty much just jungle and, uh, you know, a lot of cattle farms and stuff. Where we lived was almost where the road ends, right by the, um, right by one of the last, one of the last rainforests, actually. In fact, I I grew up literally, you know, playing in the, in the jungle as a kid, me and my brother. My dad said, you know, grab a machete and go have fun. Um, and that and surfing, of course, we had a house run on the beach, but Woody Harrelson actually used to stay right where we lived. Funny enough, there, there was a, there was a yoga retreat, not too far, well, kind of far from us, but there was a yoga retreat there. Woody Harrelson used to stay there. In fact, my stepmom almost accidentally ran him over one time. Um, it was a place called the Tierra de Malagra, which Spanish for land of miracles. It was a, we, we used to call it the hippie farm when I was a kid, but <laughs> But yeah, he used to stay there, funny enough. Um, anyways, folks, random anecdote, uh, but funny thing with Woody Harrelson, right? All right, that said, folks, uh, let's jump into questions. If you have questions, leave them in the chat. We'll get to them now. And folks, always a pleasure. Let's see here. <laughs> Imagine this stick. You're saying, did you swing on monkey vines? Um, my dad attempted to, and the vine broke and fell on him, and then a bunch of bugs fell on him. Um, interesting, interesting discovery. You cannot actually swing on, on the vines from trees. They will break, and they will make you very unhappy when they break, because there's a lot of bugs there, and they fall on you, not to mention the, the vine itself. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, short answer, yes. Uh, no, I did not, but my dad did attempt it, trying to be funny. And um, they don't work the way the movies show them, basically. Uh, yeah. Anyways. Uh, Linda2010, you're saying, do you think the release of the J6 hidden video is going to make a difference, expand charges or release? Um, when it comes to... Okay, on a serious note, right? Uh, when it comes to January 6th and the videos coming out, um, I, I don't know if they're going to make a difference. Um, I, I, I mean, it's, it's going on a limb at this point. The problem you're going to have in society is this. It almost doesn't matter what evidence comes out. We know, for example, the Trump Russia thing was a hoax. We, we know that that whole thing they, they paraded in front of us for, you know, four plus years was a hoax. It was financed by the Democratic Party and the Clinton campaign. It was based on falsified evidence, right? Uh, we know John Durham is trying to investigate, and he's trying to put people behind bars. And basically, the courts are just, frankly, politicized, and they're not going to hear anything of it, right? Um, we're not going. We're not seeing any movement on it. In other words, despite the fact that, ironically, that that actually, in my opinion, would be called an insurrection. That should be called an actual sedition. You had people who fabricated evidence. Right, fabricated information, 
uh, spread it among the intelligence communities and then spread it publicly to mislead the public, which could be considered election fraud in and of itself, because that was the whole basis of the whole Trump-Russia thing, was they were saying that Russia was using disinformation to try to alter American elections. That was the, That's what they accused Trump of. And then the same people who knew this was fake, including the intelligence agencies, used false information to launch investigations, including spying operations, which were even borderline illegal, even if they were justified, spying operations against a political candidate and then a sitting president of the United States, arrested people using evidence they knew was fake, put people on trial, undermined an entire president and then used what they knew was fake information to try to impeach a president. In fact, they did impeach him. To try to remove a sitting president from office using information they knew was fake. What do you call that? You call that a coup. That was a coup. A, a coup d'etat. You know, that, 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 that was sedition, <laughs> in my opinion, at least. Now, who's gone to prison for that? Who, who's gone to prison for that? You know, yeah, they went after the other side, but we haven't seen anybody go to prison as far as I've seen. Um, my point being, it almost, and, and frankly, if you were to talk to people publicly, a lot of them, despite being showered with facts, still cannot acknowledge the facts because people have been so emotionally um, instigated. You would call it like agitation propaganda. Basically, people people are not making logical conclusions based on information. People are, because they were emotionally agitated, it's like they have a residual emotional memory. And their memory of things is not being influenced by actual information. It's being influenced by the emotional agitation they were subjected to. They were taught to hate. They were taught to believe that this whole thing was, you know, fake and so on, that Trump was illegitimate. And based on all that emotional agitation, they've developed an, a, almost a, almost like a false memory of what took place. And despite everything you could show them, they will not change their stance, um, even politically. That's just how that's how that type of manipulation works. It's it's very Pavlov dog style stuff, right? Uh, you basically. You basically cause people to have unconscious emotional reactions to stimuli. The stimuli in this case being the former president of the United States, Donald Trump. Show it to him and people have an unconscious emotional reaction, just like a, just like a salivating dog, right, under Pavlov's studies. Just like the dog would salivate, they have an unconscious emotional reaction, which is hatred or disgust or whatever else. Um, it's just, it's classical, classical manipulation classical manipulation techniques. Apply that to January 6th. Basically, it's the same thing. Uh, there, was a, there was a massive information operation. People believed that there was a, an insurrection. They believed that Trump tried overthrowing the government, that there was this attack on democracy itself, and that people should be thrown in prison indefinitely, that even I should face sedition charges merely for showing people evidence that contradicts the established narrative. Um, in fact, I was just told this recently. Someone said, I, I think I mentioned that I should be charged with sedition for my documentary. Um, you know, you, you deal with people like that. It's not logical. There's no basis in fact. And as the evidence comes out, 
I, I personally don't believe that people who are who have been emotionally controlled and manipulated to that extent are going to just change their stance um, because it's residual unconscious reaction. That, that, that's the way that that type of brainwashing works. Um, that being said, I do think you will see Republicans calling it out. I do think you're going to see people campaigning on it. I think you are going to see this being used politically. And if, if it is reported broadly enough, if the left, for example, like New York Times gives ground and acknowledges the video evidence and says, okay, maybe it was a bit of both. Maybe it was an insurrection, but there was also, you know, basically entrapment or whatever else. Then maybe they'll change some of the narrative. But we'll see um, because we have not seen anything like that happen previously. Um, it's very hard. Again, the saying, right? The ancient Chinese saying, when riding a tiger, it's hard to dismount. Once they start a false information operation, they're not just going to say, hey, we got everything wrong, please forgive us. They're going to keep it going and just try to, you know, make the narrative do some limbo or just pretend it never happened and just drop the whole story because the public tends to have a very short memory um, and they know that. They won't actually oftentimes acknowledge their false reporting. Has New York Times acknowledged its false reporting on the Trump-Russia scandal? Have, have many of these mainstream news outlets acknowledged that they lied about the Trump-Russia scandal? Which politicians who were pushing it changed their narrative and acknowledged they got the whole thing wrong or lied to you? I can't think of almost any of them. You know, and that's just how politics works, unfortunately. Um, you know, deep, deeply partisan politics. They're, they're not going to give ground. Uh, Seymour Butts, you're saying... <laughs> He's saying, Josh, what is it with Arizona? Why are they so important? It's because Arizona, Pennsylvania, used to be Florida. They're swing states. Uh, these are states that can basically determine, you know, who wins the who wins the entire country when it comes to elections. These are the soft points where if you control just a few, you know, Georgia, if you control just a few areas and do a large enough operation in those areas, you can basically swing the elections. Um, you can you can determine who's president. You can control the entire political system. So Arizona is a very important element with that. Um, JWRY, you're saying it was all to see how compliant we are or were. <laughs> yeah, um, I I do think that's actually pretty accurate. Um, I do think that's accurate actually. That a lot of the a lot of the things with the frankly, the mandate and the vaccines, I, I do think it was more, more of an act of, more, more an operation of compliance, more than it was based on any evidence or fact. Uh, razor Sharp, you're asking, Josh, do you think Tucker will do the right thing with the coverage of J6? Fox hates Trump. Paul Ryan is involved with Fox. Um, Okay, so on Tucker Carlson, because again, we were mentioning Tucker Carlson has gotten over 40,000 hours of the January 6th footage, and this week they say they're going to release some of it. I personally believe that Tucker, this, this is purely my belief, and we'll see, if, we'll see if I'm right or not, but I personally believe that Tucker will present the facts as they are. This is based on two things. One of them is that Tucker actually did his own series on January 6th. I believe it was called Patriot Trap or something like that, suggesting that, you know, basically J6 was um, entrapment. Um, the other thing I'm basing that on 
is the fact that Tucker had me on. You might remember Tucker Carlson actually had me on Tucker Carlson tonight talking about my documentary, The Real Story of January 6th, which presented a lot of the evidence that I believe will now be shown. And uh, Tucker let me go on and make my statements. And actually, shortly after I gave my statements where I mentioned entrapment and, frankly, you know, Pelosi being the one in charge of security, the political narrative, I mean, actually, I witnessed how much political sway Tucker does have because after I made after I went on his show and said essentially the gist of what my my own documentary shows, um, actually, you started seeing that ha- you started seeing the narrative change within the Republican establishment. So Tucker does have huge sway over that. Um, based on those two things, I believe personally that Tucker will be presenting the evidence as it is. I I I, I think he will, but again, we'll see because. Uh, it was uh, Tucker's documentary is called um, "The Patriot Purge." It was a special feature series, by the way. Let's see here, Bookworm, uh, Bookworm Al Fifty. You're saying how outrageous is it to wonder if the billions going to Ukraine are due to blackmail of major person or family and cronies? I'm going to go into that tomorrow. Um, there's, there's some actually the stuff with Ukraine is going to turn it's getting to be a lot bigger. Basically, what you're seeing right now is that Ukraine is affecting the entire global power dynamic. Uh, you see right now a lot of the a lot of the global community, i.e., different countries in the world, are beginning to turn away from the United States, and they're either going into neutral positions or they're even aligning with the with the China Russia system. Basically, the United States is bankrolling Ukraine, supplying them, and acting as a proxy for a war against Russia. Russia acknowledges they believe that they're not just at war with Ukraine, but they're at war with the United States now at this point. The Biden administration is supplying tens of billions of dollars over and over again to Zelensky, one of the most corrupt politicians on the face of the earth, with zero accountability. Um, And basically, right now, you see... You, you see basically a lot of the support for Zelensky beginning to fade, um, not just globally, but even in the United States. And, you know, I think I'm, I'm a probably a good case study on that. I've done a lot to expose Russia. I've done a lot to expose the CCP. I'm, I'm very much aware of the no limits agreement Russia and China have. I've talked before about Duganism and the agenda of the Russian Federation, and in fact, a lot of their military stuff based on the fourth political theory and uh, national Bolshevism, which is terrible in my opinion. The the agendas for the um, multipolar world order, overthrowing the United States is essentially the world leader. At the same time, though, I believe that pushing Russia closer to China is a terrible move. And I think it would have been much better had Trump not been interfered with and had the whole Trump-Russia thing just, you know, rubbing his face in the mud using false evidence, which destroyed U.S.-Russian relationships and very likely led to what we're seeing now. I'm not not an absolutist, in other words, when it comes to these narratives. Um, I know very well the nature of what they call the perestroika deception, the... Uh, basically, deception of the dis- of the you know dissolving of the Soviet Union, and how essentially there were whistleblowers, including top-level intelligence officials, coming up from the Soviet Union, saying that it was all part of the plan, basically, and that Russia was doing that for a clear reason, and that they were going to maintain all the same leadership and all the same policies. Case in point, who became the, who became the leaders of Russia it was all the former Soviet leaders. 
um, that they were going to work closely with the CCP and basically continue the exact same agenda they had during the Soviet Union, just under different skin. I'm very much aware of this. Um, but at the same time, I believe that Zelensky is destroying, really not winning any brownie points, and him threatening Americans and so on in order to get money is not the way you treat people when you're asking them for tens of billions of dollars. Um, he's, I believe that the Biden-Zelensky kind of union and frankly, Zelensky not showing any gratitude or wanting any kind of oversight of the money he's getting um, is actually going to have a, a really strong opposite effect. And I think we're starting to see that now in what what is becoming almost a global balkanization. You're seeing the world divide into two camps, the U.S.-led camp and the China-led camp, which Russia is now joining. Um, a terrible, terrible result. And for me, that's a bigger deal, frankly. Um, again, with me, I'm, I don't draw black and white conclusions. I, I think I recognize a very large gray area, um, and that you know I'm, I'm not going to say absolute one way or the other. But I'll explain to you the nuances in my analysis. Right, That's generally how I see things. I'll be going more into that tomorrow, folks. Uh, in fact, all right, folks. That said, it's getting late in the day, so join us tomorrow. Um, there's a lot I want to go into. Uh, I want to go into Trump and Russia. Sorry, I want to go into Russia, Ukraine, China tomorrow. I want to talk about where things are at with that. The global balkanization now taking place and what that means, because frankly, this is a terrible result. Um, you're, you're watching the world divide into different camps. And you're going to see a lot happening with the CCP trying to manipulate this situation, maybe even making deals with Zelensky, which Xi Jinping is going to meet with him pretty soon. If that happens, China is going to basically take a big piece of the pie in terms of being kind of the, the new leader of the world order, essentially. And so the U.S. is going to have to try to challenge that. And it's going to get dirty, folks. I'm, I'll, I'll give my take on what's happening. I also want to show you some other stuff. If you haven't seen yet, in the United Kingdom, they've now declared that Lord of the Rings, the book 1984 by George Orwell, and a huge list of other Western classics are now gateways to extremism. I'm not even joking. They're, they're now calling 1984 an extremist text. Um, I'll be going into that and a few other things. Be sure to join me tomorrow, folks. And that said, thank you as always. I always enjoy doing the shows with you. And as always, folks, please share this video. Help us get the word out. Thanks again, folks. That said, please take care of yourselves. Stay informed. Stay free. Thank you. That was a shooting gallery up there. She suffered a fairly severe beating, and the video is, is pretty graphic. There is no words to express the way that I feel right now. We're labeled as terrorists. We're labeled as racist. Justice for us, it, it seems almost impossible. The crowd was desperate. It's not fun to watch somebody die. And they knew she was in mortal peril. If they can lie about me, I know for a fact that they can lie about everybody else that was there that day. The biggest fraud perpetrated on the American people, it's all by design. They have not asked the hard questions. 
Why was the Capitol intentionally unsecure that day? It's the same interests who brought Russiagate and everything since then. The way they're going after people is absolutely insane. They're out for blood. They're getting it. They appear to be winning. Nothing about this is normal. Now I describe it as an inside job.